We've looked at three Christmas hymns thus far. We're going to look at a fourth this morning. The first week we looked at Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, talking about the hope we have of the coming Messiah and His return. Uh, Two weeks ago we looked at Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and we discussed uh, uh, exactly what the angel was saying to the shepherds and how he was communicating to the shepherds this, this peace, this hope, this joy, this coming Messiah. And last week we looked at Joy to the World, how Christ brings joy uh, through his salvation. This morning, uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, if you have your hymnal and wanted to look, hymn number 123. Uh, You don't have to, uh, but the hymn 123 is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. If you wanted to look at some lyrics as we kind of talk about some background things, you're more than welcome to do that. Now, this is a different type hymn. Uh, this hymn is, is not like some of our other ones that were upbeat and exciting. Hark the herald angels sing and joy to the world. This is a much more solemn hymn. Uh, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel was originally written in Latin. Now how many of you all would like to hear your pastor sing the original Latin version of this hymn? Then you hired the wrong pastor. <laughs> There are actually seven verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, although we only have four in our hymnal. Most hymnals only have these four. Uh, They are translated from uh, a Latin kind of statement of belief called the O Antiphons. That's really a fancy way of saying uh, they're all short, pithy uh, uh, statements about who Christ is that begin with the word O. (laughs) That's all that means. Now, there were seven of them that they used to recite the week before and leading up to Christmas. So they would talk about, and I'm not going to say their Latin words, but they would say, O wisdom. You'll see in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, there's a verse about wisdom. O Adonai, O root of Jesse, O key of David, O day spring, O King of the nations, and O Emmanuel, God with us. And so these seven statements were then translated into English, and then they were put to music so that we could sing this beautiful hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. All seven verses, or all four verses we have in our hymnal, all speak about a name of who Jesus is and what he does for us. But it is a solemn hymn. It's kind of one that that drags a little bit. It's not one that we all jump up and and shout and and scream for joy because we're singing this hymn. It just has this rhythm that is very, very melancholy. And there's a reason for that. A lot of the words actually speak of suffering and struggles as well. Our previous three hymns have all been joyous. Even our first week, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, it was a, a little less peppy. The words of it were, we're excited about this future hope. But O Come, O Come, Emmanuel captures a perfect paradox at Christmas. There certainly is joy in the salvation that Jesus brings. There's excitement and we should sing joy to the world. But there's still suffering in the world we live in. There's still struggle in the world we live in. People are still passing away. There's still death. Disease still makes us miserable. Calamity still strikes. Satan still prowls. There are still wars and battles. Sin still rears its ugly head. For all the joy that Jesus brings, we look at a world and we say, Lord, when will you come? 
There's still work to be done. And so, O come, O come, Emmanuel actually uh, mentions a lot of these struggles we have. Verse 1, it talks about how we mourn in lowly exile. Not really the most joyous of songs. Verse 2 references gloomy clouds and death's dark shadows. Verse 4 begs that this world's envy, strife, and quarrels would cease. It's this idea of we still need Jesus to come. We still need him here. This hymn captures the theme of, of our longing hearts for Jesus to come and make all things right. This is the hymn for those of us at Christmas who maybe don't always feel the joy, but long for it. Both the Old and the New Testament look forward to Christ's coming. The Old Testament look forward to the coming of the Messiah as the sacrificial lamb. In the New Testament, we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ as the conquering king, the lion of Judah. And so we're going to read a passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 61, and a passage in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, both talking about the struggles of our circumstances and the coming hope of Jesus Christ. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is writing to a, a people, a nation that is quite comfortable, really. Now, the nation of Israel is rebelling against God. They're fighting against Him. They're, they're sinning and turning away from the things of God. And so God sends a prophet, Isaiah, to them to tell them of their misery to come. He's prophesying that they will be exiles and they will be taken out of the land. And in the midst of all of this chaos that Isaiah is sharing, he gives them hope. But, towards the end of Isaiah, he says, there will be a time that you're brought back. There will be a time that you're, you're redeemed. There will come a time when, when you will experience salvation afresh. And so in Isaiah chapter 61, we read about the struggle of Israel and the promise of a future comfort. Read with me in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So, Isaiah is speaking to the people and saying, I know things look bleak. I know that you're captives. I know that you're struggling. But in the midst of all your sadness and all your brokenheartedness, there will be a restoration. In the midst of the calamity of Israel, there is hope. Similarly, in the New Testament, we read about an eternal hope that we have in the midst of our sufferings. I think we can all identify with the words that Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, that this world has struggle and strife. Maybe you've bought into a lie of prosperity gospel that says, if you would only put your faith in Jesus, everything would get better. What we're going to read about in Romans 8 here in just a second, Paul says the opposite. 
Things are difficult, and they probably will get worse. But there is a future hope, a longing for the return of Christ. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies, for now, in this hope, we are saved. We now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul writes and says, there are struggles now. You can't see the coming glory, but have faith that there is a coming Messiah. Have faith that there is a coming conquering king. Have faith that the struggles of this life are not permanent, but they are temporary. What do these passages tell us about our own longing for better things? In your bulletin, there are four blanks, and they they kind of one lead into the other. So I'd encourage you to, to follow along, take notes, write down what these passages tell us about our current situation and our future hope. First, from reading these passages, we acknowledge there is brokenness. As we read both Isaiah and Romans, we find very clearly the Bible teaches not prosperity in Christ on this earth, but instead suffering, oftentimes misery and difficulty and strife. We see the the world, and Romans says creation is broken. There's something wrong with what is happening. 2019 has not been friendly to many of you. For some of you, you, you've lost loved ones this year. Maybe you've lost your health and have struggled physically. There are those of you who have come to me with financial struggles or family strife. 2019, for some of you, is is ready to be buried and put behind. It's a reminder that this world is broken. Maybe this year has been good to you, but you look back at times in your life and you've seen struggles. The truth is you only have to turn on the evening news to see the brokenness of our world. You, you turn on the news and you, you find uh, crime or, or murder. You see devastation. You certainly see our political situation in this country. And you have to look and say, something is broken. Right? That not everything is what God created it to be. There's brokenness in all walks of life, which is why Paul compares our brokenness to childbirth in verse 22 of Romans 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, I have to stop for just a second, and I want to go ahead and share with you that while I feel very confidently that God has placed me as a pastor of First Baptist Church, I don't feel that I personally can explain to you this verse nearly as well as my wife could if she were up here. Okay, men, sit down for a second and ladies, let this sink in. Our pain in this world is compared to the pain of childbirth. 
I've never had a kidney stone. I've never given birth to kids. the, The most painful thing I've ever had, I think, was a splinter in the bottom of my foot that had to get cut out. That was pretty painful. But I venture out and say, I I would guess that it has not quite touched the amount of pain of childbirth. This is not a a description of a world that has some some cuts that need bandages. This is extreme. This is suffering. This This is longing for the pain to be done. I can remember shortly after, uh, after Hannah had given birth to Callie, our first uh, daughter. She, she suffers with kidney stones quite regularly. And, uh, and so we had always asked her then after the, the weeks after, which is worse, a kidney stone or, or childbirth? And she had a kidney stone a few weeks after, or maybe a month or so after Callie was born. And, and I had gone to work and I came home and she was curled up in the floor in the fetal position going, equal pain, it's equal pain, you know. <laughs> This is agony we're talking about. The world is not described as getting better. The world is described as as suffering and agony and pain and broken. You know, the reason why pastors like myself preach about sin and suffering is not because we like pounding the pulpit. It's not because we, we enjoy giving out judgment. I hate that part of preaching. The reason why we preach about brokenness and sin is because it points us to the longing we have for Christ. Have you ever noticed that nothing starts out broken? Let that sink in for just a minute. Nothing was ever created broken. That things are created perfect and whole and something happens which brings about brokenness. And so all of us then live our broken lives longing for a return to perfection. Longing for, for something to fix our brokenness. And that's why we talk about sin and suffering and brokenness. Because our brokenness always leads to a longing. A desire to return to something that is whole. The more we realize the condition that we're in, the more we find ourselves striving to escape. I just want to get out of this broken life. So how is it that we escape the brokenness of this world, the sinfulness of this world, the consequences, the calamity, the the suffering? How do we escape? Well, for many people, we, we tune it out and we focus on ourselves. We can't control the world around us, but if we can just live as good a lives as we can live, do the right thing, say the right things, be morally good people, If we can just worry about ourselves, we don't have to worry about the brokenness around us. Other people, instead of focusing just on ourselves, they do the opposite. They focus simply on other people. I'm going to do my best to make the world a better place. I'm going to give as much as I can give. I'm going to invest as much as I can invest. I'm going to love and serve and help. And while while other people may be mean, I'm going to do my best to live a, a loving, giving, charitable life. Some people choose to ignore the brokenness completely. Maybe if I just put my head in the sands and and don't turn on the news. Maybe if I just ignore the hurt of other people and even the hurt in my own life, I won't have to deal with it. People try to drown it out with with many things, whether it's an overly committed job, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a substance, whatever it may be. We just try to, to drown out the noise of the brokenness around us. The problem is, no matter what we do, focus on ourselves, focus on others, ignore it or drown it out, it doesn't fix the problem, does it? Maybe it mutes it for us. Maybe it it dials back the volume, but it, 
It doesn't fix the brokenness of the world. It just helps us cope for a little while longer. Your longing may not be for for God to fix this broken world, but all of creation longs to escape brokenness. That's why we read in Romans chapter 8 again, verse 19, creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, that is, those who are, are belonging and children of God. The entire world, all of creation is longing for the world to be restored and made right. That's why every pageant you'll ever watch has a stereotypical answer in the question and answer time. I want peace on earth, right? I just want all wars to stop. I just want everything to be smooth and go well, even without the understanding of a biblical redemption. We see all of creation is longing to fix this broken world. You and I have brokenness in our lives, and that leads for this longing. But the problem with the way we deal with it is it doesn't fix brokenness. It just puts a Band-Aid on the problem. And so the longing you have to escape brokenness is part of God's design in you. God designed you to want things to be perfect again. God has placed a longing in your heart. And as you seek any way out of brokenness, God provides the way out. Of brokenness, The only way that actually fixes the problem. God has given us Emmanuel, God with us. He's given us the, the day spring, our wisdom. He's given us the desire of nations. All those names of Christ in the hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel, are the answer to our problem and our longing for brokenness. It's a reminder that whatever we try will fail, but Jesus Christ never does. God has given us Christ to redeem us from our brokenness, and that's exactly what our longing leads to, redemption. Our brokenness causes us to yearn and to long. Our longing for for the truth of fixing our brokenness leads us to redemption in Christ, in Christ alone. The truth is, this redemption doesn't mean here and now, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. It doesn't mean here and now everything is made right. It doesn't mean all of a sudden your life is roses. It doesn't mean you, you don't suffer. It doesn't mean you don't lose loved ones. I'm reminded of this, this truth of, of suffering even in salvation, just from a recent article from uh, California in Bethel Church. There's a particular family, actually one of the, uh, the women who helps write the songs for Bethel Music, a very popular uh, style of worship. They, they have lost their two-year-old child and obviously are grieving. And so they have called on the church to pray adamantly for the resurrection of their two-year-old child. It's really a heartbreaking story to read. What you find is that, that Bethel Church teaches a a theology much different from what biblical theology is. Now, they they actually teach that if you are faithful to God, God will bless you. In other words, if you do what is right, you will have riches. If you do what is right, you will have healing. And they even teach that if you pray for literally anything and you love God, you will receive it. If you don't receive it, you just didn't have enough faith. Oh, that's not what the Bible teaches at all, but... But now they've taken it to the extreme. Why they've called the church together to pray for the resurrection of this, this precious two-year-old child. I, tell you, I, I don't believe that God is going to answer that prayer. Not that he can't, and I'm brokenhearted about it. 
But we have this idea that if we are faithful to Christ, everything automatically gets better. And in this life, it doesn't. In this life, we still lose precious children. We still lose loved ones. We still get sick and and we still suffer. We still have a hard time with our our families and we, we still have misery. So what exactly is this redemption that is coming? If it's not fixing all of my problems here and now, what is this redemption? What exactly is God wanting to fix in my brokenness? We read in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 again, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. What is this good news? He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of the prison to those who are bound. The redemption is not found in having all of our wealth and health. The redemption is found in having freedom. You no longer are forced to be a bondage to the sin that breaks you. You no longer have to continue living a life that leads to more brokenness. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, It's in Him we have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins according to the riches of His grace. No, our redemption doesn't mean everything is perfect now. Our redemption means we're not stuck in our broken, sinful pattern any longer. I'm so thankful that that our brokenness leads to a longing, and our longing leads us to Christ who brings redemption. And ultimately, here's the promise of hope, ultimately, that redemption does bring perfection. I'm going to be very clear about this. This does not mean you in this life will experience perfection at any time. You will not. But there is a hope and a promise There is a a certainty of a future perfection that comes when we are ultimately united with Christ. Back in Romans 8, Paul writes again, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Our redemption doesn't fix all of our problems, but it reminds us that there's a future glory that will. It's a seal and a promise that our suffering now is momentary. And it's light. When we compare it to the the glory that God wants to give us in all of eternity, we're reminded that our brokenness leads to longing. Our longing leads to Christ and redemption. And that redemption promises a future perfection where we no longer lose those we care about. We no longer get sick and suffer. We no longer struggle. We no longer fall. We no longer sin wonder this morning if God has given you brokenness just to give you longing. And if that longing this morning has tried to be filled with with everything under the sun, I wonder if this morning you would just stop and ask for Christ to fill that longing. If He would be the redemption that you need. If He would give you not the promise of a comfortable life now, but the promise of an eternal, glorious hope in the future. So we get ready to wrap up this morning and we think about this song oh come oh come Emmanuel I wonder if that could be your invitation Lord I'm broken I'm longing for someone to fix it would you send your son to do that let's pray Father we thank you so much for your goodness to us we thank you for salvation Lord knowing that we live in a world that is full of strife and suffering we long for and we ask that you would allow us a way of escape 
everything we tried has failed. And so now, Lord, we throw up our hands and say, God, I need you. Lord, through Jesus Christ, will you give us all redemption? Bring us back to that that perfect relationship that you created us to have with you. Lord, we know that we still suffer today, but we, we cling to that promise of hope that there will be a day that our sufferings are no more. Lord, we look to that future glory, and when we compare it to the sufferings of this life, we're reminded that, Lord, there's no comparison. Lord, we pray this morning that you would fill the longing of our hearts with your Son, Jesus Christ. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen.